Good morning, Life Center. Good morning, Life Center. How we doing? Glad to be here today. Wow. Wow. All right. I want to start with tagging on to what Pastor Andrew just did and said, and thank you to them. And we've got a long and storied history. And Laura didn't cry. I'm like, you didn't cry. Good job. I wouldn't have either. Um. <laughs> All right, well, I, I want to do things a little bit differently today. And uh, the thing is, um, it, takes, it takes a village, as Hillary said, um, to get done what needs to be done. It just does. You're only as strong as the people in your life. That's no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you're only as strong as the people in your life. You will only be as successful as the people you surround yourself with. And if you're always the smartest person in the room, you're not going to get very far. That's just how that is. So if you, get, if, if you get your fulfillment by being the smartest person in the room, you are where you are, and that's where you will be. But if you can surround yourself with sharp people, if you can surround yourself with passionate people, if you can surround yourself with people that, that get a vision and run, that you don't have to, to, for lack of a better term, micromanage, then that's when you're going to see things happen. And that's what God has given us at Life Center. He's given us a team of pastors that are passionate, a team of pastors that want to see God's will accomplished, a team of pastors that love God and that love people and will do what is necessary to get the job done. And that is a blessing that really, you, you can't really put a value on, on that piece right there. So right now, I am going to go ahead and do this. So Pastor Philip, come join me. Pastor Andrew, Laura, come on up. Pastor Jason, Lisa, come on up. The Diaz family is not here, but imagine Pastor Diaz being up here with us. Don't y'all run now. So this year, I wanted to do things a little bit differently. The last couple of years, I've said, I've kind of bared my heart and soul about what these people mean to me and, and all these kinds of things. But I thought this year would be a, a better to do this a little bit differently, so we're going to. So I have picked three people to come up here and share how these people have impacted their lives, how they have uh, helped them been an example to them, whatever they want to say, um, I've picked three people to do this. So I'm going to step over here and get a microphone, and while I'm doing that, um, Terry, Ross, and Bree can all come to the front. I think this microphone is good. It is. The lights are on. The lights are on and somebody's home. Okay, if you don't know, if you're relatively new, Pastor Jason and Elisa take care. They're pastor of our life students, middle, high school. Pastor Philip pastors our prime timers. If you're 55 or older, he is your man. And he does, yeah, I'm going to let him talk about that. And, and Pastor Andrew and Laura, executive pastors, they, are, they do a little bit of everything. And they have their hands in it about every piece of the church. So uh, I'm going to start over here. Bree can go first. She is so excited to do this. 
She said, you're going to cause me to have a panic attack. So I'm sorry. I'm like, sweet, this is personal growth. <laughs> you got to use the microphone. So I would like to start out by thanking Pastor Jason, being our youth pastor at the Life Center. Pastor Jason and his life family have been in my life for about eight years now. He has helped me grow closer to God and has always been there for me. Pastor Jason has dedicated a great amount of his time to the youth of this church. He has also added excitement at all youth activities. So Pastor Jason, thank you for all you do for me and the Life Center. And this is Terry, whose wife's name is Linda. And if you've been here a while, you know how ironic that is. Go ahead. I didn't know we could write something down. Oh, first, you, you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on behalf of the prime timers, uh, also known as uh, the old folks, <laughs> I'd like to express our love and appreciation to Pastor Philip. Um, he's worked hard that almost two years that Linda and I have been here. Uh, scheduling activities for the uh, prime timers, uh, getting us involved in ministries uh, with nursing homes, uh, breaking bread together, going on trips, and uh, he's put a lot of time and effort in doing that, and I uh, want to express our love and appreciation for him and to him for doing that for us. Uh, if you're not a member of the prime timers, and uh, we'd like to Get see that. you join up, Get involved. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> right? Uh -huh. But uh, I think the best thing I can say about Brother Philip is that he's a hardworking servant of God. Thank you very much. Oh, that's awesome. Dude, like, I'm out. Like, mic drop. <laughs> and this is Ross. Love our Ross. Aw. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm Ross. Um, I apologize for the mumbling or whatever else. I'm a little hungover from a, a wedding. It's a lot of happiness and joy. You know, I don't do any kind of drinking or anything, but it was like one of the most amazing times of my life, which he happened to was a good day. marry some of my best friends. Um, so I thought about what I was going to say when he asked me, which was no. <laughs> Initially, but how can you say no to these people? I mean, it's like the first words out of my mouth were anything. Well, who does that? It's a setup. So I just, I just want to say real quick that like I've, uh, I don't know where I would be without, without these guys. I mean, without, you know, I, I, um. Uh, Ever since I can remember, I struggled for that male companionship from abandonment and uh, not being able to have that role model in my life. You know, the father was gone and there was a lot of different daddies. I don't even, I don't, I don't get it. But what I do get is the day that I showed up here, I saw that in these guys. And he, he, so, yeah, 
my wife was like, oh, church. And I was like, no, thank you. And I was like, <laughs> but again, when I got here, I, I say, initially, I gravitated towards Andrew. I'm not quite sure, you know. Um, I just know that he was just, he was a great father. He seemed to be a great friend. His determination for this church and for everyone, it was just, it was unbelievable. I said, I want to be like that guy. And I told my wife, I said, I guess, you know. And then, in turn, I met these guys. And it's just been a major impact in my life. I, would, I don't know where I would be. Like, there's, in every aspect of my, my life that I struggle, there's been something that I could get from these guys up here. And by the way, I ain't there. So, listen, here's the deal. I looked over at my daughter one day, and I said, what you got there, baby? It's her phone. And I said, why is Pastor Andrew your screensaver? <laughs> I like okay, it's getting weird. <laughs> so I texted to him and like that is awesome. six months later, I'm laying in my bed and I'm looking at my TV and I happen to look down on my stand. Hey, Pastor Andrew. <laughs> Why is this dude all over my house? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, I said it. That's exactly why he's all over my house. And he's all over my life. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm so grateful. Thank you. I'm going to leave this up here for Pastor Diaz. I'll say something about him, but Pastor Andrew and Laura, Pastor Philip and Pastor Jason and Lisa, thank you guys for, y'all can go, for everything, for who you are and for what you do. Amazing. It's stuff like that. When somebody says, what is your why? Well, there you go. That, those three examples. That is why. We do what we do. So thank you for everyone. Thank you to this team that we have. We're very blessed, and I'm grateful for every single one of them. Pastor Diaz and Sylvia, amazing, amazing family. And what they're doing here at 1 o'clock on Sundays with Centro de Vida is nothing short of miraculous. And I'm excited to see where God is taking them and what he's doing in their life. Just an amazing family. So if you see them anywhere... Love on them. Give them a hug. Tell them thank you. Is that all right? All right. Let's do this Walking Dead thing. I can't believe this is the last week of Walking Dead. Who's glad it's the last week of Walking Dead? <laughs> a few of y'all are glad it's the last week of the Walking Dead. I have a question for everyone in the room. Who, who here today is strong-willed? Some of y'all are so scared to raise your hand in church. You're like, what are we setting? What is, what is he setting me up for? Who would consider yourself strong-willed? Right. Every, everyone wants to raise your hand because no one wants to be seen as weak. The definition of strong-willed is determined to do as one wants, even if other people advise against it. <laughs> I heard a moan in the crowd. I don't know who did it, but that's okay. As a kid, if, if you're strong-willed, 
and you have good parents, they don't advise you against doing things. My mom and dad never advised me against doing things. They threatened me not to do things. When we, back in the, in the 70s when I was growing up, uh, we had big cars. Who remembers big cars? You can fit like four bodies in a the trunk. They're huge cars. And, and my dad has really long arms. I call them monkey arms. And he has really huge hands. And I would be going down the road, and I would, I would do something wrong, and there would be no warning shot. There wouldn't be in this... None of this counting to three stuff, or ten, whatever you count to. I would just be sitting back there doing my thing, whatever it was, and the next thing I know, he is sitting up there, and this thing comes around the seat and does this sweeping gesture and catches me in the line of fire. And I learned at an early age to, to get back up against the door in the corner and kind of put my rear end up on the armrest and ride there because I, I knew the extent and the reach of his hand. So if I got out of line, the arm would swing every time. There was no warning. But sometimes I could get out of the way. I'll never forget one day at church. We, our church was, I've told you I hated church when I was a kid. And our church was on a busy street. The, like the, the, store, the, the six steps from the church door went down to a sidewalk that was like five feet wide, and there was the road. And it was a busy road, and people would fly down the road. And my dad, he, we, had, we had rules. Do not go outside after church. And I'm like, that's the dumbest rule I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Why wouldn't you let your kid go outside? I realize now, having kids... That five steps or six steps down to a sidewalk where the road was, was dangerous. And that's why he didn't want me to go outside. But man, one day I decided to test those limits. Because I wanted, what's the definition? Determined to do as one wants, even if people advised against it. I had been advised, threatened, not to go outside. So I decided, one of my friends, I wanted to go out there. I opened the door. I walked down the steps onto the sidewalk just for like 30 seconds. And I walked back in. And I didn't think he saw me. And I'm over in the corner of the foyer, and I hear him say, excuse me a minute. He was talking. I heard him say, excuse me a minute, and his tone of voice, I knew he saw me. No warnings. No counting. Just a stinging bottom. That's what happened. So as a kid, the, advi the advising is, I promise you, if you do this, you'll regret it. If you do this, I'm going to something. Parents, if you say you're going to do something, follow through. Because otherwise, your empty threats are not going to work. So here's the deal. Believe it or not, there was a day when kids were punished for acting out. And I'm going to stop meddling in your affairs. But I'm going to tell such a story. And it was in, I believe, 1998, in the fall of 1998. Uh, we, were, we were here uh, as student pastors in the church. Pastor Andrew and Laura were in Washington, like all the way across Washington. And we met at a church conference in San Antonio, Texas. Savannah was 18 months old. Nathaniel was a few months old. There was no Sierra. There was no Taylor. There was no Tristan. We were still footloose and fancy free. So we were hanging out. We were sitting in the car. We were catching up. We hadn't seen each other in a few years. And... We're sitting there, and, and Lars and Tawana in the back seat, and Lars holding Nathaniel, and Andrew and I in the front seat, console, and little Savannah. If you don't know Savannah, she is like one of the sweetest human beings to ever walk the face of this earth. Just a sweet 
human being. I, I texted her, I said, I'm going to use you today at church, so if you want to you know, watch, whatever. She's like, oh, I hope it's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> and if you know Savannah, you can hear her say that. So we're in the front seat. Savannah is less than two years old, and we're sitting there, and the car's running. It's hot in San Antonio. The air conditioner's blowing, and, you know, kids in buttons. The, the control panel's up there. The stereo's up there, and she's looking at the buttons, the radio going like the eyes just big, and she reaches out, and she starts pushing buttons on the radio. And Andrew, being the disciplinarian that he was, <laughs> if you know him, <laughs> He, he says, Savannah, don't touch the radio. And he moves her hand away. And she sticks her hand back out and starts punching buttons again. Smacks her hand. She whimpers a little bit, looks at him, looks at the radio, starts pushing buttons again. <laughs> he smacks her hand again. She whimpers a little more, looks at him, looks at the radio, pushes the buttons again. He smacks her hand again. And then she looks at him and holds his gaze and does like this. <laughs> Looking him dead in the eye and is moving her hand toward the buttons, having been smacked, at, I think, at that point at least three times. And what did he do? He smacked her hand again. It, was no, it, it wasn't like, let's, let's see what we can divert her to. It was a teachable moment. That as, a, as someone who didn't have kids yet, I would then learn that sometimes you just got to do what you got to do because that's a moment where the will is strong. And that's a moment where you really have to show that two-year-old who the boss is and that you don't always get your way and you don't always win and you don't always get a trophy. <laughs> so in that moment, she embodied she embodied this little sweet child being strong-willed. And for a moment, she embodied rebellion because she wanted to do what she wanted to do no matter what her father said, who was the, uh, the figure of authority in that situation. But he won that battle. He finally won, and she stopped touching the radio. And then they moved to Maryland, and she started riding around with my father-in-law, and he let her sit in the middle of his front seat and touch whatever button she wanted to. <laughs> yeah, that was sweet. That was sweet. It's like the little kid who was told to sit down, but he didn't want to. Didn't want to. Sit down, no. Sit down, no. Finally, the parent wins. I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Who's heard that? The little kid, you, you may make me sit down here. You may win right this moment. But really, in my mind, in my heart, I'm standing up because I don't want to listen to you. This is what our flesh is like. We're talking about the walking dead and killing things that, that rise up in us. This is what our flesh does. We're talking about our will today. What is my will? It's my desire. It's my way. It's my comfort. It's my advantage. It's my opinion. And my is the operative word here, because my will is not about you and your welfare. It's not about God and his kingdom. My will is about me and what I want and what I want to do, even if other people advise against it, even if the word of God advises against it. It's what my will is. It's who we are. And we need to kill it. We need to surrender our will 
to the will of Jesus Christ. I've been excited about this day for a month because this is the, this is the deal right here. This is where it is because when we become dead to our will, then we are positioned for greatness in the kingdom of God. So let's talk about our will for a minute. It's exactly that. It's ours. It's our plans. It's our goals. No one consulted about what we want to do because it's all us. It's me sitting down and mapping out the course of my life to my benefit to get the most out of life for me and not considering anyone else. Romans 12 says this, I beseech or urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Transformation doesn't come by behavior. Trans transformation comes by renewing and changing your mind the way you think so that you can prove. All this transformation happens. Why? So you can prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect plan for your life. No. The will of God. The whole thing at the beginning don't conform to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what the perfect will of God is in your life. We're being advised here to give ourselves to God so we can do his will and fulfill his plans, not ours. There's part of all of us that wants to do this, but going back, uh, Pastor Andrew read, I think, Romans 27, 21 through something. We're going to back up and read 15 to 21, and this is what I call um, the Dr. Seuss chapter of the Bible. If, who, who likes Dr. Seuss? Yeah, it's cool. So let's, let's read uh, Dr. Seuss of the Bible. I, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself who does it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. This is so Dr. Seuss. But the evil I do not want to do, I, I, I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, <laughs> it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Let's say this today. Although I want to do what is right, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be who God wants me to be. I want to fulfill his will in my life. My flesh and my will, evil, my sinful nature are always there with me. So let's get this straight. Part of you wants to do what is right. You want to defeat your selfishness. You want to stop living by your emotions. And your what a roller coaster. When we live by our emotions, man, what a roller coaster. We want to stop living like that. We want to stop living by our feelings. We want to follow God's will for our life. But wherever we go, guess what? There we are. <laughs> wherever we go, there we are. I've, I've had people tell me, I just need a change of scenery. No, you don't need a change of scenery. You need a change of you. I need a change of me. I don't need someone to do something for me or tell me how awesome I am or make me feel good. I need God to change me into, more into what he wants me to be. 
Not everything we do will feel awesome. The real problem is we can't get away from ourselves. Our, what, what did the author of Romans say? My will, my sinful self, it's a law. I'm always there. But if, if I keep perspective on this thing, if I keep myself surrendered to the plan of Jesus Christ, then, then I, I'm one step ahead of my will. I'm one step ahead of my nature. I don't have to live by my emotions. I don't have to be selfish. I can live by God's plan, and I can see it come to pass in my life. But not everything is going to feel awesome. There are times where things are going to be, they're going to be going great. You're going to be walking around saying, God's plan, God's plan. Happy at how everything is going. But there are other times when you feel angst and you feel anger and you, you feel like you're in the middle of your garden experience with Jesus and you're, you're having to pray so hard to push through to get past the circumstance and you want to stop and you want to give up, but you know you shouldn't. But what did Jesus say? In this world, we say it all the time. You will. You absolutely are going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble, but take heart. Don't be scared. Don't be scared because I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. What I do know is greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. We've got this. There are going to be speed bumps. There are going to be times we want to throw in the towel and quit and stop and all this kind of stuff. I'm sure no one in here wanted to quit this week. No one was close to falling off the wagon. No one was close to throwing a towel, cussing somebody out, doing something, walking out. No, none of us were close to any of that stuff this week. Don't give up. Don't lose your mind because it's hard right now. Don't quit because you've messed up. Don't stop because you don't see a way out. Submit and move forward. Submit and move forward. God's plan. God's will, God's purpose. I'm a walking dead person. I'm a walking dead person. I'm dying. Just like the Apostle Paul says, I am dying to myself and to my flesh. Submit and move forward because guess what? God will make a way. When Abraham submitted his will to God, if you go back and read the story, we do not have time today. Read the story. Abraham wanted, and Sarah wanted kids, and, and they couldn't have any. They were in their 90s, and, and the angel came and said, you're going to have a kid, and, and Sarah laughed. She's like... Nope. I'm 47 and I want no more kids. None. Times were different. They lived longer, but they were old. And God's promise was you're going to have a kid. You're going to be the father of many nations. Like the sand on the sea, the stars in the sky. That's, you're, you're, going to be the, you're going to be Father Abraham. They had no kids. So they had this kid. We're going to back up and talk about the beginning of the story in a minute. But when, when he had this kid, he had, he had his promise. He had arrived. Isaac was here, and God said, go sacrifice him. Go sacrifice your promise. God's not going to tell you to sacrifice your kid, but he may tell you to sacrifice your promise. He may tell you to sacrifice something near to you that you, that you fought for. And Abraham was obedient. And he took his son up there and had him on this altar and was about to plunge a knife down. And God stopped him, and there was a ram in the bush. He didn't see another way. And then God provided another way. God provided another way. Isaiah 43, 19 says this. See, I am doing a new thing. This is a popular passage. Now it springs up. 
Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness. This is where I want to hit right here. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You may feel like you're losing the battle against yourself every single day. You may feel like your flesh is so strong that you can't conquer it. You may have messed up so many times that you just you, you feel like, what's the use? Can God really forgive me this many times? Doesn't he get tired of me saying, God, I'm sorry? Doesn't he get tired of, of me saying, God, I don't want to be like this. Help me, help me be better. Help me do better. Help me stop. You fill the blank in. Doesn't he get tired of that? But he sees you. If he instructed us to forgive 70 times 7, that's 490, in one day. If we, being good parents, know how to give good things to our kids, how much more does our Heavenly Father give good gifts to us? If he asked us, let's apply that principle here. If, if he asked us to give, forgive 490 times in one day, how much more will he forgive us? I did not just give you a license to go do whatever you want to do and ask God to forgive you a thousand times a day. It's not about that. It's not about a license to act a fool and expect God to pick you up. This is about me pressing toward the mark. This is about me realizing that I am a sinful person, that my nature is sinful, and I am trying to do everything I know to do to do the right thing, to be the right person, to abstain from what I need to abstain from. But when I mess up, I know he's not going to leave me in my mess. I know he's not going to because when I mess up, I go to him and say, God, I'm sorry. This is not who I want to be. Please forgive me. Help me do better. Help me stop doing this. Help me stop saying this. Help me stop being this person. I know you've got a better plan for my life, and that's when he picks you back up. Amen. It's not a license to sin, but it is, it, it is a get-out-of-jail-free card. It absolutely is, because I know when I mess up, I can immediately stop where I am. God, please forgive me. This is, this is not what I want to do. This is not who I want to be. Please forgive me. And guess what? He does. So you may think, that he gets tired of forgiving you. You may think that you've done too much, that you've gone too far, that you've sinned too many times. Don't stop believing. Don't stop trying. Don't stop going back and repenting. Don't stop going back and saying, God, help me be stronger. Help me be better. Because you, the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to the cross, the better that's going to be. It's going to work out. I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. Keep submitting and moving forward. Keep submitting and giving yourself to God. Keep killing your will. Many people believe that when they, when they go all in on God's plan, that, that they're going to have to give up on their hopes and on their dreams, and they'll, ne they'll never have any say in what they want. The Bible also says that he will give us the desires of our heart. Here's the deal. It doesn't have to be conflict between your dreams and God's will. It doesn't have to be that way. See, you think, if I go all in, if I really give myself to God, then I can't, then I'll never have, I'll never have money, I'll never have houses, I'll never have cars, I'll never get to, to go on trips. because I. No, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. When you're following Jesus, your dreams and your plans will coincide with God's will and God's plan. And instead of the constant struggle of your will or his, you'll be doing his will and, and realizing your dreams will be coming true at the same time. 
It's the ultimate scenario of gears meshing, of planets aligning, of synchronicity, all this stuff. That's the ultimate scenario of this. You'll be working toward a common purpose of your dreams and God's will. But this only happens when we align ourselves with his plan. And this is when scriptures like, I will do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think. That's when this stuff applies. Is when not when we're doing our own thing and living our own life, but when we're living according to his plan. Not when we're perfect. You will never be perfect. I told somebody this week, you'll, you won't be perfect until you are eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ. That's when you're perfect. That's when the struggle's over. That's when the fight is done. In that moment. The victory, the victory comes through the grind. That's when, it, that's when, that's when you win, is when you're in the grind. We, we love the scripture in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a great promise. It's a great promise. But we tend to take that as a standalone scripture and say, I'm going to have my promise in, in six months, man. God knows, God knows my, he's, he's got plans for me. And we take that as, as the end all be all. And, and that's, it's an awesome scripture and an awesome promise, but that is not the case. To, let's, to put that in context, Israel was in exile because they were on God's naughty list once again. The entire nation, not one person, the entire nation. And this promise was to the nation of Israel. We're going to read verses 4 to 11 to get context. Bear with me. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. To all those I carried, he carried them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. If you don't know, Babylon is 59 miles south of Baghdad. Jerusalem, Baghdad. Due east, 900 miles as the crow flies. They weren't home. They were in exile in Iraq. That's where they were. I carried you into exile. Verse 5, build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your son and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease in the grind. Increase while you're grinding. Don't decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for where you are. Pray for where you are. Pray the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. If it prospers, you will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, 70 years are completed for Babylon... That's in Iraq. It's not in Israel. I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He's telling them, you are where you are because I put you there. Here's what you do. You live your life. You marry. You let your kids marry. 
and pray for the peace and prosperity of where you are. Because if you, if we're, if you prosper, if, if the place where you are prospers, then I will prosper you. And in 70 years, I then will deliver you out of there. So think about where you are right now. Sometimes we are where we are because we've done dumb things. A lot of the time. And they were here because they had done dumb things. They were on God's naughty list, but he put them in this place. He moved them to the side 900 miles as the crow flies. When they went there, they went up and down. They didn't go straight across. They went up. They were falling in water, up and down. But he put them there because of what they had done. I hear you. I see you. I know exactly where you are, but I'm not going to deliver you right at this moment. It's not going to happen right this second, but what I want you to do, I want you to grind it out. I want you to live. Get married. Live your life. Work your job. Let your kids get married. Let them raise up people. Don't decrease in this time of grind. Don't decrease in this place where you've been separated a little bit. Don't decrease. You have to increase. And oh, while you're there, pray for the place where you are. Pray that it prospers and that peace comes to that place. And if it does, I'm going to put a, a time clock on this. In 70 years, I'll bring you out because I know the plans I have for you. That's the complete context of what we're dealing with. I like it better this way. You may like it better to have a standalone scripture that says, oh, God knows, I know he has plans for me. He's going to blah, 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 and say the whole thing. That's, that's fine. But it's more encouraging to me than ever because this gets in between the lines of, of promise, the grind, and the fulfillment of, of where we live and what goes on in our life. This is where we live. We have a promise. We live in the grind, and we're looking for the fulfillment of the promise. But we live in this grind right here. That's, that's where he, God is telling us to be faithful, to be who he's called us to be, to grow where he's planted you. Don't be looking for the next thing because you'll find the next thing. But if you grow where God has planted you, that's where you're going to prosper. That's where you're going to bear fruit. Was it last week Pastor Andy talked about fruit? It was. When we grow where God has planted us, that's when the fruit happens. Do what I've called you to do. When it's time, you will see the promise in your life. In the meantime, though, grind it out. Live, love, and pray. Be faithful. And if you make where you are successful, then I will make you successful. That's an awesome promise. That's an awesome promise. But it's in that 70-year grind. I can't tell you that your promise is 70 years away. It may be 70 minutes away. That's God's plan. But it's in that grind, in that time period, that will tell the story. It's in that time period that will dictate if those plans come to fruition. It's in the everyday grind. It's in the quiet moments. It's in the moments of doubt. It's in the moments of uncertainty. It's in those moments in those moments that we want to go our own way and we want to do our own thing. He does have a plan. He does have a purpose. But the only help he needs from us is our submission to that plan <laughs> and the willingness to work through it. He doesn't need us coming up with our own plans. He needs us following his. 
I talked to you about Abraham a minute ago, almost sacrificing Isaac. But if Abraham had followed God's plan, there would be no Palestine today. You get that? That conflict in the Middle East, it wouldn't be there had Abraham done and waited for God's plan to happen. God absolutely had a plan to make him the father of many nations. He had that plan in place. He had the plan for Isaac to be born, but the problem was Abraham was impatient. He wanted that promise right now, and he, he and Sarah decided to help God's plan happen because she wasn't having kids. They said, oh, we have this servant. Let's, let's bring her in. You can have a baby with her, and they did that, and guess who was born? His name was Ishmael, and Palestinians are descended from who? Abraham, ultimately, but Ishmael, not Isaac, Ishmael. So there you have the backdrop for the conflict of the Middle East. God's promise through Isaac, but Ishmael wanted it, and that's where the conflict is. When I submit myself to God's will, when I die to my flesh, when I crucify my flesh and, uh, in repentance and centering on his will, I become a walking dead person. And this is when God's plans can come to pass in my life. The point, when Jesus was in the garden, I'm trying to hurry. When he was in, in, in the garden, that was his moment in the grind when he prayed. He wasn't entering into a passive resignation to just a course of events. He was actively participating in the will of God. See, the point of prayer, we all pray. We all pray for things. But the point of prayer is to yield our will to God's, not God's will to ours. Jesus fought through to submission. It was stressful. It took work. What did he say? If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. I know what's coming. I've seen it happen. I don't want to go through this, proce this process. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I don't want to go through this grind. I don't want to go through this pain. I don't want to go through this wait period. But nevertheless, he fought through to submission. Scripture said he was sweating so profusely that his sweat became like drops of blood. He fought through it. Sometimes you may have to fight through your grind. You may have to fight through that moment of doubt, of insecurity, of hopelessness, of feeling that this is never going to happen. Or simply, I don't want to do this. You may have a moment where you just say, I don't want to do this anymore. That's when you can have your own garden experience and say, God, I don't want to do this. But if there's no other way, if there's no other way to get through, just help me get through. Not my will, not my plan, but your plan. The Bible says he endured the shame of the cross for the joy. When we focus on God's plan, on his purpose and his will, we can endure the grind and not deviate. We can do that. We can do it. Thy kingdom come. What the, the, Lord, the, the, the structure of the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom. <laughs> let's, let's talk about who he is. And then what's the very next thing? God, thank you for who you are. It's our prayer. Thank you for being awesome in my life. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for who you are. What's the very next step in the structure that Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. 
Why is it up there so high? Because that's how important it is to us, and that's how hard it is for us to overcome. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Even in the grind when Jesus was teaching and hanging out with his disciples, he would, he would foreshadow and drop hints about what was coming to let them know what was coming, but also I believe he was mentally preparing himself, keeping at the forefront. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is going to happen. But th these people, this, this world is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't go your own way. That's the easy button. It'd be cool if we had an easy button for every part of our life, wouldn't it? Scripture tells us if we don't quit, if we don't quit, if we don't quit, that we will reap in what? Due season. Due season if we don't quit. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Ah. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. The King James says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That's looking to him for everything that you need, and he will make your paths straight. If you're willing to leave your will and pursue his will, you are going to see the best in your life. You will see your dreams mesh with his will, and it won't just be the best version of you, but that's when you're going to be the most successful and reaching back to last week, the most fruitful. That's when it's going to happen. When your will remains consistently behind his, this is what the walking dead looks like for us. Jesus got to the point where he prayed, not my will, but yours. Scripture I read two weeks ago. Let's stand together. In John chapter 12, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. Many times over. Here's how this works. When our will dies, new life springs up. When our will dies, a new path begins. When our will dies, blessings will follow. When our will dies, and this is the best part, when our will dies, we become like Jesus. That was his final, not his final lesson, but that was the moment where he really embodied what we struggle with. Our will, our wishes, our doubts, our fears, our hopelessness, our insecurities, our failures, all of that. With him saying, I don't want, my flesh does not want to do this. I don't want to go through this. But the Bible says he endured the shame of the cross for the joy set before him. It wasn't the joy of relief that Scripture is talking about. It's the joy of redemption. It's the joy of reconciliation. It's the joy of one of the last things he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be there too. That's the joy. See, where we are right now, in the grand scheme, in the eternal scheme, we're in the grind. This is where we are. But if we can endure... If we can endure the frustration, 
If we can endure the pain, if we can endure at times the humiliation, if we can endure all the, all the, all the feels, if we can endure all of those things in the grind for the joy set before us. Let's, let's back the joy down some. For the joy, what is the joy set before us? It's, it's seeing people's lives changed. It's seeing God's will accomplished and not in just our own life, but in the lives of others in our church. But the ultimate joy is being with Jesus for eternity. But in the grind, man, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes I feel like such a failure because I am perfectly flawed. And sometimes I'm weak and sometimes I'm frustrated and sometimes, y'all may not ever feel this way. Sometimes I feel hopeless. Sometimes I'm just exhausted. And I'm like, really, God? Has anybody ever prayed that? Has anybody ever said that to God? Really? What in the world? I've said those words. I don't pray in King James. I pray in Scott. Sometimes I'm just like, what? God, God what in the world? I'm just tired right now. I'm, I'm just tired. I need some relief. It's in those moments of the grind where you feel those feels. All of them. And you want relief. And you want this to stop. And you don't see how you're ever going to be like anyone in the Bible. Except the ones who failed a lot. And you, nobody really wants to be that guy. Nobody wants to be the guy that God has to forgive 70 times 7 in a day. Thanks for noticing, Eeyore. Right? You want to be this mighty warrior, this strong person. But even when the angel stopped by and talked to Gideon, Gideon, he was hiding, doing what he had to do to feed his family. And the angel addressed him as, what's up, mighty man of valor? He's like, somebody else here? <laughs> That's not who I am. But see, I know the plans I have for you. It was that moment where the angel was talking to who God had designed him to be. He wasn't there yet. But the angel was talking to who, he, who God had designed him to be. And guess what? The struggle wasn't over right then. He had to grind a minute. Go read the story of Gideon. It's one of my favorite in the entire Bible. Because then he had to go back and undo things that had been done that he didn't even do. He had to grind it out. His life was threatened. But guess what? In the end, God gave miracle after miracle. And he was proven to be what? A mighty man of valor. But it didn't match where he was. But when he recognized God's plan, some of y'all gonna have a song in your head all day. When he recognized God's plan, don't. And submitted to that process, things started happening. That he never he never foresaw any of that happening. Any of it. Go read the, go read the story. It's amazing. It's supernatural. It's who God is. When we submit ourselves to his plan and we give ourselves over to it, God will do amazing things. So today, make a decision. Everything we do in our life, from the, what color socks that you wore this morning, guess what that was? That was a decision. Some of y'all may have been too sleepy and you got a black one and a blue one on. I don't know. But it was still a decision. It may have been a sleepy, groggy decision, but it, guess what it was? It, was a, it may not have been a good one. You may have a hole in it. I don't know. But it was a decision. You ever get through part of your day and realize you put the wrong socks on, there's a hole in your heel and it doesn't feel good? 
Yeah. You ever make a decision to say, oh, what did I do? Make a decision today to really, everybody say really, really follow Jesus. Not just say, I go to church. Not just say, I go to church, or not just say, I'm a Christian. No. Not just words to say, but daily decisions. Because decisions lead to what? Actions. Making daily decisions that reflect his purpose and his calling and his plan. That means I'm becoming. See, if, you, if you've had an encounter with Jesus two years ago and you're still the exact same person, doing the exact same things, saying the exact same things, having the same exact habits, you haven't changed. You need to have an encounter with Jesus and you need to commit to his purpose and his calling and his plan and let him change you. Let him change you. Become the walking dead, for real. Become the walking dead. That's what this is all about, is me dying to what he wants. And I know I've gone a little bit over, a little bit. But y'all, this is where it's at. You'll never stop being selfish. You'll never stop living by emotions. None of it. Unless you conquer this peace. And it's your will. Amen. Don't get discouraged in the grind. Don't give up. Don't stop. God does have a plan. It may be 70 years. No, it won't be 70 years. But God has you where you are. Live, love, pray, grow, and make where you are successful. Your job, your family, your church, everywhere, make that place successful, and he will elevate you. I believe it with everything in me. Y'all, love y'all. I love y'all so much. Glad we're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad God has brought every single one of you here to this church, this community, and I believe our best days are ahead. I do. So y'all have a great week. Try to stay dry, and we'll see you next week. Love all y'all.